This is the Legacy United Methodist Podcast. So we are looking at fails, and thankfully we have many biblical examples of fails and how God uses those times for His glory in ways that we really couldn't even dream up on our own no matter how hard we tried. We saw Moses fail in learning how to control his anger and ended up running and hiding. And then God used him to bring an entire nation out of bondage and led them to the threshold of the promised land. We looked at Elijah and all the amazing things that God was doing through him. And in a moment, in a moment, he let fear take hold and lost sight of the, the, of the one who had been guiding him and protecting him and supplying all his needs. So just like Moses and Elijah, we can, we can let our own thoughts and ideas and plans get in the way of what we know uh, to be true about God. But God never leaves us. God knows our weaknesses, and even in that, even in that, He stands by us, stands with us through all that comes our way. This morning, I want to talk to you about Saul. Now, we first learn about Saul in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 58. It says, His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Why were they laying their coats at the feet of Saul? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I'm going to give you a little Bible study. If we jump back to chapter 6 of Acts, <clears throat> we see, uh, we, we, we learn that the apostles just elected six new apostles, uh, chose them, and one of them was named Stephen. Now, Stephen goes out and he starts doing all these great works for God. Uh, calling, calling on the name of Jesus and, and doing these great things, and he starts upsetting all the super-religious people. And so they grab him, and they bring him before the religious court, and they accuse him of blaspheming God and blaspheming Moses. And Stephen goes off on this long sermon about God and, <coughs> excuse me, and how he worked through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He talked about Moses. He talked about King David and all that they had done. And then he said, you know all this. You know all this, but you are too stiff-necked to obey the law that is right in front of you. Well, then all these religious people, they were like, hey, thank you for setting us straight. We're so happy about that. No, they got ticked off and they dragged him outside and they stoned him to death. And that's where Saul is standing and they lay their coats, their cloaks, at his feet. In, seven, in Acts 7, 60, it said, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Let's jump to chapter 9, where we are met with these words. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of God, went to the high priests and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So that, he, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul was a Jew. The religion of Saul was, was an inherited religion for him. He was 
one who had learned this from his father. He grew up in a Pharisee home. His father was a Pharisee. He was, he was taught the life of a Pharisee in his home. His, um, and then when he got a little bit older, he learned uh, from one of the most influential Jewish teachers of that day. And I'd give you his name, but I knew I wouldn't be able to pronounce it, so I just left it out of my sermon. But Saul knew the laws and the ordinances of Judaism. He knew Judaism, but he did not know God. Saul was a man who hated the Christian church. He hated Jesus. He hated Christians. He hated anything to do with Christianity. Because of his hatred, he did everything in his power to destroy it. And, and, and that is his intent as he gets these arrest warrants to, and begins his, his trip to, da, to Damascus. Now, little did he know, little did he know that his entire life was about to get changed. Now, we don't know exactly how far he was uh, from Jerusalem uh, with Saul and his little entourage, how far they'd traveled, but we do know it was kind of around midday when all of a sudden, in verse 3, it says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and, he, and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembled. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men journeying with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Saul, this killer of Christians, is laid out flat on his face and called to follow Jesus, the one that he has hated so much. If ever there is, is a person who has wondered if they are worthy of being saved, all you have to do is look at Saul's story and know that no one is hopeless. No one is beyond God's reach. No one is beyond God's mercy, grace, and love. No one is too far gone. There is always hope. I can't count how many times I have heard people say that God doesn't want me. I am too far gone. I have too much of a past to be forgiven for. I will burst into flames if I walk through the doors of a church. Now, not only is the physics of that impossible, but if God wants and chooses a man like Saul, God wants you also. The Lord said, 
I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Kicking against the goads. That is what Jesus said Saul was doing. Now what, did, what does that mean? What was wrong with Saul's life that Jesus would, would tell him to, to stop kicking against the goads? Do you know what a goad is? Today we would call that a prod, like a, like a cattle prod. But before the invention of batteries, a goad was a, a long stick with a, a sharp point at the end that would move along the cattle or the, um, whatever was pulling the wagons or the plow. Jesus was using this analogy to say, Saul, why are you resisting the prodding of God, causing God to, to goad you along even harder? See, Saul had religion, but he, he missed the wonderful relationship of God. That is why Jesus said to him that he was kicking against the goad. He was fighting against something that was so much greater than himself, greater than his knowledge of religion. He was doing what he thought he should be doing for God. He was about what he thought was God's business, but he didn't know God's will. He thought because these Christians were going to be such a threat to his beloved religion, he had to destroy them. He had religion, but he had no relationship. So when Saul encountered God on the Damascus road, Jesus asked him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now can you imagine the shock that must have been to Saul? He believes he is doing God's business only to discover he is, he is completely out of God's will. The very thing he was fighting, the goad he was kicking against, is God himself. Some of us know what that feels like. God has been urging you, prompting you, calling you to come to himself so that you can, you, you have, you, I'm sorry, so you have, you have taken the forms of religion, but you resist that invitation to accept that salvation of Jesus Christ. You do the business of church, but you are completely missing that will of God. You're kicking against the goad. When Saul is knocked down by God, he does something that reveals that at that moment his spirit is broken. He asks two questions. They are probably two of the most important questions we could ever ask God. Who are you? And what do you want me to do? Who are you? Is a very personal question. Suddenly Saul realized that this was not the God he knew or thought he knew. This was not the God he had been 
thought he had been serving. All those years of training under his father and then this teacher. And in one flash of light, Saul realized that that he doesn't know God at all. He has the theory, he has the list of do's and don'ts. And on a Damascus road, Saul meets a God he never dreamed existed. And the next question he asks is, what do you want me to do? Shows that Saul, shows that Saul went from a Pharisee and a persecutor to a disciple and proclaimer of Jesus. This is the question of a man who has surrendered his will to Jesus Christ. Lord, what do you want me to do? We go a verse further in verse 10, and we get to meet a new character in this conversion story, a man named Ananias. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for the one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming, coming in and putting hands on putting hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I have shown him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Saul has a shocking, overwhelming encounter with God. He is struck blind. And Ananias, on the other hand, has this quiet, seeking, still voice from the Lord. And he listens. God spoke softly to Ananias because Ananias knows God. And he knows what to listen for when God speaks. God tells Ananias about Saul in a vision and tells him to go reassure and talk to Saul. Now there's nothing really to indicate that Ananias is this extra holy person. Now, it may just have been that Ananias was in the right place at the right time. We don't know. But he had a willing heart. God uses Ananias maybe just because he is an ordinary man. Now, even though Ananias had not met Saul personally, his, Saul's reputation obviously made, made its way around. And it really is no surprise then that that Ananias had some questions for God about going and and talking to this man named Saul. See, change is hard sometimes for people to accept. People have questions and doubts, especially with these drastic conversions. Being cautious is okay. 
But we need to remember that we all, we all have a past. Ananias is faithful. And change, excuse me, Ananias is faithful and changed. And amazing things happen. Saul is changed and amazing things happen. Verse 20, immediately, immediately after Paul, this is, this is Saul, immediately after he is changed, Saul preached the Christ in the synagogues that, that Jesus is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose? so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. But Saul increased all the, Saul, but Saul increased all the more in strength and conformed the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is Christ. Ananias changed. I'm assuming the disciples who who he was going there to arrest, changed. Saul changed. And that's not just at this moment, but Saul changed his name to Paul. The Paul that we quote so many times in our sermon. The Paul who planted churches in Asia Minor, Greece, and Rome. Who preached in the name of Jesus. Who wrote the major portion of the New Testament. But for some, change is hard to deal with. You know, when I still go back to my hometown that I grew up in, there are many people who still cannot believe I'm a preacher. Now, most of those are family, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just hard for people to accept that I'm not still that, that same teenager 35 years later. It's not just people who have a hard time with change. Sometimes it's entire churches who have a hard time dealing with change. I had a pastor friend in one of the first churches he went to be a pastor in. When he got there, he wanted to move a piano on the platform. He wanted to move it about four or five feet. The piano player and most of the congregation had a fit and were about ready to oust him out of the church. So he said, fine, we'll leave the piano where it's at. But what he did was, every week he moved the piano an inch <laughs> in the direction he wanted it to go. He moved it an inch. It took him about a year, but he got the piano where he wanted it to be. And everybody thought that that's where the piano was. That's where the piano is supposed to be, and don't you dare move my piano. Change is hard. Paul's failure was thinking his knowledge of religion gave him all that he needed until he found the relationship he was missing. Change can be hard. But our faith, our faith is built around change. Our past is ours. Own it. But our past does not defi define our future. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you all praise. Lord, we give you all glory. Lord, we ask for your strength as we look at change. Lord, change is hard. Lord, we get set in our ways. We get set in the things that we know or think we know to be absolute and true. Lord, help us to be open to what you have for us. Lord, help us to be open to new things. Lord, help us to be open to your voice. Lord, whether it comes in a bright light or a still whisper, Lord, help us to be open to you. Lord, as we come to points in our life where there is great change, give us strength. Lord, give us wisdom. Help us, Lord, to, to walk forward and in, encourage in, in into that change. Always knowing, Lord, that you are with us. Give us the boldness, Lord. Lord, we ask these things in your amazing name. Thank you.